Order, order. In the case of the budding trainee lawyer, I find the defendant not employed. Hello, you're listening to Careers Talk with me, Kerry Eustace. And don't worry now, we've not been hauled into court for relentlessly bad gags. But if you're looking for a job as a lawyer after graduation, our intro might sound depressingly familiar. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about breaking into particularly popular professions. And in this week's pod, it's law. Here to hopefully reveal some of the loopholes into the sector, we'll have Matthew Rhodes, founder and director of RollOnFriday.com, a community website for young lawyers. But first, to review this week's news, I'm joined by two reporters who are well acquainted with the bar. My senior partners, the Honourable Harriet Minter and the mostly law-abiding <laughs> Ali White. Hello! Hello! <laughs> um, what, what news have we been looking at then this week? Okay, we'll kick it off with UK graduates are struggling to communicate in the workplace. This is hindering them, according to a survey of recruiters by careerbuilder.co.uk. Um, it was the most common problem singled out by these recruiters, with 36% saying it was an issue. And this came above things like uh, 29% thinking there was a lack of critical thinking skills, while 21% pointed to a shortage of overall business skills. So it seems that they're really wanting that practical knowledge. But it's quite interesting this week because we ran an article about what to do when you get to the final part of an interview and you don't get the job, a really interesting article on the career site. And it offered such advice that if you didn't get the interview, that this is the stage before working, but it, I thought this could apply to people who might not be getting interviews, is to ask for really specific feedback. Just not like, why didn't I get the job? But what was it about me that you didn't like? And when you've got that feedback, if you need to add another string to your bow, consider doing something about it before you apply for another job or, you know, because you're just going to come across the same problem. And they, uh, the person in the article pointed out that you could seek out more experience or training. So I think if you think your communication skills are a problem, there might be something you could do about it. Yeah, I definitely. Graduates must have a problem anyway because they're kind of faced with this, you don't have the right skills mm-hmm. attitude from employers, you don't have the experience we need. And I think it must be really difficult to kind of try and communicate how the skills you have can help them. Yeah. So maybe that's something that's worth thinking about before you go into an interview. Yeah, and it's useful to know a bit more about what these employability skills are because everybody mm-hmm. sort of says graduates are lacking employability yeah. skills. What are they? Mm. You know, and obviously it's going to differ from employer to employer, but that information is going to be useful to people who are putting their applications together now. Well, I have been looking about what happens once you get into the workplace mm-hmm. this week, and um, we found a survey which says that. One in ten workers hate their colleagues. Ooh. I know, it's quite strong. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly we all walk out of here and never speak the to each other again. Loathe their colleagues. they hate words. them. Um, and this is a survey by Chrysalis Courses, who are a career counselling service. And they said, our survey's quite shocking. Many don't feel appreciated by <laughs> managers. Even worse, they don't get on with their colleagues. A little bit of me thinks this is obviously just what happens when you get put in a workplace with people who you don't know, who you might not choose to be there with. Mm -hmm. Particularly, I think, if your work is quite stressful or if you're going through redundancies or anything like that, which can make a bit of friction in the workplace. But they also found that the biggest problem is that 35% of people feel that their work isn't appreciated. And that kind of builds up resentment and creates issues. This got me thinking about sort of famous colleagues that yeah. haven't got on. <laughs> Harriet and I were talking about this. So, you know, obviously there's the Gordon Brown 
and Tony Blair. Um, Harriet, you had a really surprising example. I'm actually saddened by this, but there was a newspaper article the other other day from Fern Britton's ex-agent saying that Fern and Phil on this morning hated each other. Don't believe it. I am horrified about that. I'm really, really sad. I thought they went home and, like, you know, had little chats and would text each other in the morning to see what the other one was wearing, but no. If that is true, the thing is that when they were at work, when they were on camera, they got on with their jobs. And this is something that Julian sort of says quite a lot, doesn't it? It's, you know, when you're at work, you do have to sort of adopt a different approach to who you are and how you sort of go about things. So maybe if we're sort of hating our colleagues we should think about that but if you just want to have a rant we're going to have a Q&A next week about dealing with the difficult <laughs> colleagues so you can come and tell yeah, us all about it I've got a survey as well and um, mine is that one in three job seekers are making over 100 applications <laughs> yeah Massive. yeah this is from my work search which is an on online outplacement provider and of all these people 100 applications and 48 percent converted into less than three interviews and 31 percent got none no interviews or one or one interview and that conversion rate doesn't surprise me because if you're if on average you've sent off 100 applications you know it's not an odds game is it so you're clearly sending off the same application or a very slightly amended one for 100 jobs Mm. you know I don't think you should ever send out the same CV twice and I know that our experts would agree with that oh that's a good tip yeah I really think so I think um well our experts sort of say all the time that your language in your CV should be adapted to reflect the job specification Mm. or that on the company website so if they've got sort Mm -hmm. of buzzwords or a tone maybe they apply because obviously some companies are going to have more of a corporate tone where others might have sort of more of a modern or relaxed tone Mm. so I definitely and I would say time spent on an application I'd spend a week I think on a job application minimum. Mm. I think it must be soul destroying though if you're sending out 100 applications and not getting a single interview so maybe what you need to do is take a step back and actually say right I'm not going to apply for anything for a week and have a bit of time off and then sit down and as you say spend some proper time on it because it just must be so depressing yeah I agree yeah but don't send out 100 applications you you know I think you should be picking out the things that you're qualified for that you have the skills for or the potential for not just anything and as Harriet said when it gets difficult you might be sort of applying sort of in almost in a desperate sort of fashion I need to get as many out as possible but I don't think that you should. Um, <laughs> and our experts say the same, it's not just me. Um, <laughs> and of course, if you are sending out so many applications, there's a risk that you're going to rush them mm. or maybe make a few mistakes, be yeah. prone to mistakes. And um, that got me thinking, you know, with a few minutes on my hands, I sort of uh, was Googling <laughs> and I found a list of amazing CV mistakes and you really don't want to be making these. So <laughs> they said, I've got a strong work ethic Attention to detail, team player, attention to detail. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Not so good proofreading there, was there? This is a really good one. Dear sir or madman. <laughs> That's oh, a good brilliant. one. Um, <laughs> instrumental in ruining entire operation for a Midwest James. <laughs> oh. um, speak English and spinach. <laughs> And uh, hope to hear from you, Shorty. Yeah, yeah they could send that one to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is spell check is not your friend, you know. Instead yeah. of reading these things yourself, you spell check your CV, but they're not going to be thrown up by um, spell check there. Well, they spelt spinach correctly. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, on to a quick review now of our What Can You Do with a Languages degree Q and A. 
Right, we've got some great top tips for you here. Employers value language graduates, but they don't always specify this in the job advert. So, you know, you've got these great language skills, but, um, you know, you should really push them and make sure the employer knows about it. Apply for jobs that you're interested in and make sure you mention it because it could actually be the difference between you and someone else getting the job. And taking a little bit look at the industry available um, to these language graduates, just the translation industry alone is estimated to be worth in excess of 15 billion every year. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of opportunities for translators to gain work, but also in a broad and varied industry. You know, we're going to see more people in the renewable energy sector. It's an emerging area. And also in online gaming, which I thought was very interesting. So yeah, so the, the experts were saying we need to recruit people who have or could develop a knowledge in the kind of appropriate terminology and conventions in this area. So that's an, another way you can sort of brush up your skills there and perhaps be useful. Last of all, foreign language skills are not always enough. Careers in languages can be exciting and fascinating, but the employers keep saying that they want to see more. Uh, you know, there's interesting roles, roles available, including even like helping in counter-terrorism, crime and military operations. And so this requires candidates not just to be fluent in languages, but to have, you know, stuff like cultural awareness, great curiosity, ability to work in a multicultural environment and an interest in international affairs. So you, I think you really need to think about a rounded skill set for those kind of jobs and make the most of the language skills by doing that. So at the top of the show, we introduced our plans to talk about how to break into competitive sectors over the coming weeks. And to give you a better idea of why we've picked law to kick this off, last year the Guardian reported that nearly 10,000 students completed the Legal Practice Course, or LPC, but there are only enough jobs for 5,800 of them. With law among the areas where there are set to be even fewer jobs than last year, it's fair to say that this year's round of budding lawyers are in for an even tougher time when it comes to looking for work. Plus, as law is a profession where two years out of work can render your qualifications out of date, there's even more pressure and stress when it comes to job seeking. But don't get your briefs in a twist, because whether you're trying to infiltrate the magic circle, the name in the industry given to top law firms, or looking for a law-related job in any circle, this week's guest can help. Joining us now, we have Matthew Rhodes, founder and director of RollOnFriday.com, a community website for young lawyers. Just before we go any further, can you explain a bit about Roll on Friday and what it does and its role with lawyers? Roll on Friday is the online legal community and uh, it was originally for, for students and trainees and uh, young lawyers and it's now read by everyone. And you can get on there and catch all the news and the gossip. You can work out what you get paid at all these firms and what the hours are like. You can even find a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I believe we've had two Roll on Friday weddings for people who, <laughs> people who met through our discussion board. And we even had a Roll on Friday baby. <laughs> we talked about that stat above that um, we've got 10,000 students doing this LPC. And also I've been told that Connections name law as one of the top 20 most popular jobs. Why is it so great? Why do so many people want to do it? Um, money is the main point. And we did a story today saying that while Gottschall & Manges, which is a big US firm that has a large office in London, is paying £90,000 a year Whoa. to its newly qualified lawyers. So that's when you're 25. £90,000 a year plus bonus and very good perks. And that goes up every year. Even if you're not very good, it still goes up every year. Um, I think that's probably the main reason. Is there anything else? What's the working culture like? What do you, what do you think graduates think they're going to go in and do? Um, probably not what they're actually going to do. <laughs> you don't get paid that by, by just sitting around and clocking off at 5.30 every evening. It's very hard work. Uh, these guys pull constant all-nighters. 
long weekends, it's, it's tough. Do you think students kind of realise that when they go in? Do you think they think it's a bit of a John Grisham novel and they'll be in the firm, you know, uncovering secrets? And Yeah, absolutely. Know. I've got an anecdote about this. Okay? <laughs> so there's this chap, he's, uh, he's on the uh, hospital deck and, uh, and his heart stops and he goes to hell. And he goes around and it's fantastic. And nightclubs and everyone's partying. There's loads of booze. And the surgeons manage to resuscitate him. He comes back to life, lives another 10 years, quite happily does good deeds, then dies and goes to heaven. And he says, this is very boring. A few people strumming a few harps. This isn't much fun. I'd rather go to the other place. And St. Peter says, you sure about this? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, okay. So off he goes. And it's horrific. And there's pits of the damned and fire and brimstone. He goes to the devil and said, this isn't what it was like when I was here. And he says, oh, that was the summer scheme. <laughs> the summer scheme is a PR ploy to try and persuade you to work for them rather than any other firm. Uh, so they make sure you have a lovely time. They take you to nice meetings and out for nice parties. You're out by 5.30, 6 o'clock every evening. Um, and once you've signed on a dotted line, well, they own you and they have to make money out of you. Um, so it's completely different. There's no relation whatsoever. Is there a good side to it, do you think? Are there, did You were a lawyer for a while. Did you enjoy it? Yes, there's a lot that's good. It's, it's mm. very intellectually challenging. You work with a fantastic group of people. Um, being a trainee is brilliant because you have this pre-selected group of people who have lots in common with you, same sort of age, went to the same sort of university and law school, uh, ready-made drinking buddies. Everyone looks out for everyone else. You learn a lot. There's standard business stuff which you learn as a trainee which is very helpful how to draft a, a, a document how to write a business letter how to chair a meeting you know all this stuff is important uh, so it is it's a being a trainee is a great job um in order to get a training contract and become tra- a trainee you have to do the lpc um i don't know if you saw this story we ran a few weeks ago saying that nearly double the number of people on the lpc that there are jobs available for them why do you think that is do you think that I mean, I know that a lot of firms will sponsor a student through their LPC. They will pay their, um, pay their training fees, give them a bit of money to live off. Do you think graduates should be doing the LPC without that sponsorship? Is it difficult to find a job afterwards? Um, you make a very fair point. No, they shouldn't be doing it, is, is my opinion. Uh, I did read the story, and uh, this followed on from something we did before then about the College of Law, uh, where only 25% of its students are being sponsored. That's tiny. So that's three quarters of paying for this themselves. And I think the LPC is about £10,000 a year. It's of that sort of order. And it is really is of no benefit to anything other than law. And if you're paying for that yourself, the market as it is at the moment, the chances of you getting a job at the end of it are very remote. The problem you've got is that law firms recruit almost uniquely about four years before these people qualify. So it's a huge punt. I mean, up to nearly five years, I think. They recruit you in your last year at university. Then if you haven't read law, it's two years at law school. Then two years as a trainee. Uh, Anything could happen by the time you qualify. Mm -hmm. So they've now got these people who were recruited five years ago, four or five years ago, when the market was very different to how it is now. They've had to defer a whole bunch of them anyway, so they're now starting, who should have started last year and now starting this year. Uh, They just don't have room, which is why it's shrinking. Terry, did you want to say something about newly qualifieds? So I know that you had a friend who was a newly qualified and get, got laid off the second she finished. Yeah, that's right. She was doing a training contract within a firm. And then when it came to the point where she was going to be made a permanent, you know, proper member of staff, she was told there wasn't a job for her anymore. And she didn't have anywhere to go. You know, she sort of job, went to the job centre and they said, have you thought about retraining? Is that quite a common situation? Yes, it is. Uh, it is. It is not in anyone's interest for firms not to keep on its trainees when they qualify. Uh, 
we reckon it costs a big city firm the thick end of quarter of a million pounds to train up a lawyer. By the time you take into account salary, law school fees, training, office costs. So most firms in the city, most big firms in the city, are probably looking at about 80% to 90% retention if they can manage it. Certainly Slaughter and May is more than 90%. Uh, but it does happen. There are some firms out there that have only kept on half of their newly qualified, some even fewer. And the prospects are pretty grim when, when that happens to you. If you're a, um, a student who's just finished their LPC or if you're a newly qualified now without a job, what else should you be looking to do if you can't get a permanent job as a lawyer? I'd try and do as much pro bono work as you can. Keep yourself busy. Uh, we do something on our site called Roll on Friday Community Action whereby lawyers work for free for people who've been affected by the credit crunch. And this can be uh, charities, it can be individuals, battered wives, anything like that. You can go down to Tower Hamlets Law Centre. You don't get paid for it, but courtesy of Law Society, you do keep a practising certificate. And there are law firms that give you preference if you do a certain number of hours on this uh, when it comes to recruitment. So I think the important thing is keep yourself busy, even if you're not being paid. And for graduates looking to get into it now, you deal with lots of firms. What makes a graduate stand out to them? What do they want? I think they're all looking for the same thing. I think it's less a question of standing out. I think if you're really good, you'll get a job. It's probably a question of not standing out, I think. (laughs) One piece of advice I would give is make sure you get yourself off all these social networking sites um, because that's where it all falls down. Uh, There are partners I've spoken to who go on to Facebook and such like and actually look at the profiles of the interviewees before they get them in and have come up with some pretty shocking stories. Um, So I'd I'd be very careful about where you put your image and what you allow people to say about yourself on these sites. And aside from that, I think what they really want are people who are clearly very bright and are methodical and are prepared to work extremely hard um, and be very committed to the firm. Uh, It's not about running around and going to lunches and winning clients. It's about (laughs) churning documents. Can I ask a little bit about that? How do new trainees and practicing lawyers cope with the long hours? Because there seems to be a lot expected of them. Is that difficult? Do they just kind of fall into that routine, would you say? Well, some do and some don't. A lot of people don't manage it. If you look at the rate of attrition at all of these firms, and being a trainee is okay. I mean, some departments tend to be busier than others. You tend to have one or two seats where you get really done over and a couple where you can sort of breathe a bit more. Uh-huh. Um, when you qualify, if you're in a busy department, if you're in sort of banking or finance, it is really long hours. It is very tough. You get used to it. Some people don't and they leave and they go to you know, provincial firms or smaller firms. Um, by the time you hit partnership, you're generally, if you're a bloke, sort of bald and have pot belly and skinny arms and a moon tan. Um, <laughs> but then you're very well paid. So, uh, it's not for everyone, but it is. It is tough. It is long hours. Do you um, envisage the situation improving for trainees and budding lawyers over the next couple of years? Truthfully, probably not. I think the problem is most big city firms are over-lawyered. They've got themselves into a position whereby they're geared to do huge global transactions which require hundreds of lawyers in dozens of jurisdictions. Those sorts of deals aren't really happening anymore. And there is work out there, but it's smaller. It's more mid-market, and clients aren't willing to throw so much money at it. Uh, I think these firms generally are too big, and many of them are going to start slimming down. And many managing partners to whom I've spoken have said that they're actually looking at taking on fewer trainees over the coming few years. Are there any specific areas that are likely to grow a bit more? The global market might be shrinking, but the middle market, are there any 
areas that you could improve your skills in where there's likely to be more opportunities in the future? It's very hard to see. Uh, a few years ago, everyone was saying real estate was where you needed to be, and now you want to be anything but a real estate lawyer. Litigation is always pretty good, um, but it's not as busy as people thought it would be. Uh, suing people is expensive. People haven't got a lot of money. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I think the thing to do is to qualify into an area that you enjoy and you're good at. And if you are good at it, you'll probably do well, even in a bad market. Do you think sort of training lawyers should have a career plan for what they want to do? Do you think it's possible to, when you're sort of 22, 23, to look and say, I want to be a corporate lawyer and I want to be a partner at my firm by the time I'm 35? Is that the way it is now? Or do you think they need to have a more flexible approach to what they're doing in the future? Yeah, they have to be more flexible about it. If you look at the number of people who make partner, it's incredibly small. I think Allen and Overy this year made up two partners in London and they take on around 100 trainees every year. And if you assume, I, I don't know, but if you assume that one of those partners didn't train at the firm, it's been busting from elsewhere. So that's a 1% chance of making partner. Uh, I don't like those odds. <laughs> I don't think you can rely on that. I think the thing to do is to get to qualification, do two years, do as much as you can, as well as you can in those two years, and then reassess. Uh, the problem is that as you get more and more senior, it's harder and harder to leave because you become more and more specialised, as lawyers are found to their cost in the, in the credit crunch. There are very few firms that have really generalist lawyers. Slaughter and May is probably the only one. And that's come from the demands of clients. So people like Linklaters have gone to clients and said, well, you need to use us because we've got Harriet here who's eight years qualified and all she does is structured finance in Azerbaijan and she's fantastic at it. And if that market then disappears, there's nothing for you to do. There are no jobs. You can't suddenly decide you want to be a litigator instead. It doesn't work like that. Do you think firms should look at creating more generalist lawyers? And Maybe it's not profitable for them, but do you think it would be good for lawyers themselves to maybe move between departments a bit more and try and increase their skills base? Oh, for sure. And they're all saying that they're doing this, but they're not. Um, (laughs) The way they make their money is by having specialists in departments and they're run as businesses and their lawyers are, however they want to look at it, a commodity. And if they've got a bunch of specialised lawyers in an area which is no longer fashionable or profitable, well, they'll get rid of them. But yes, you're quite right, of course. It would be much better for the lawyers <laughs> if you could give a, give a lawyer a fountain pen and they can draft you anything. Um, that's got to be good. I know that interviews for trainees are particularly tough because you get grilled by a couple of quite senior partners. Are there anything that kind of you think trainees should do or shouldn't do when they're in an interview? Is there any way they can um, sort of get the partners on side a bit? Get them on side, gosh. Well, don't do what I did at my Slaughter of May interview, <laughs> which was when I was asked where I saw myself in 10 years' time, say, in your seat, oh, which cringe. is just a horrific thing to do. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably easy to say what you should be saying rather than what you shouldn't. <laughs> Make use of the fact that at the end of the interview, they will ask you, Uh, if there's anything you want to ask them, and come up with a really sensible question. Don't sit there and say, well, how much money am I going to be made? Or what time am I going to get out of the office in the evening? Or how good is your gym? Come up with something quite sensible. Uh, Here's a free question for you, which I think is quite a good one. And now you'll all use it, and it will be traced back to me. But I think quite a good one is to say, if you make someone an offer for a training contract, and they turn it down, what reason do they give? And what firm do they go to? And if I were a partner and I were asked that, I'd probably have to think quite long and hard and think you were quite bright. Unless, of course, everyone prior to you had asked the same question. So, <laughs> it on your website. That's great. 
Thank you very much, Matthew. It's great to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks, Harriet. Time for the Jobs Top 10 now. David Collins is here to help Ali reveal an entertainment industry theme chart. But first, David, you're new to The Guardian, aren't you? How are you settling in? I am. I've been here six weeks now, seven weeks. It's very different from my normal, my, my background that I come from. So, But I found it fantastic. Everyone's been really inviting and it's a lovely place at work, lovely building to be in. And yeah. everything's going well so far. Touch wood. And look where I am already in the podcast. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> All right, take it away. Opening the chart at 10. The Young Vic Theatre is looking for a development director with a record of successful fundraising. At nine, voice recruitment needs a media research executive for a six-month contract with a leading global entertainment group. Eight is a vacancy for a booker at an agency that provides live entertainment for events. Greenwich Community College is looking for a part-time tutor to teach its foundation degree in venues, events, hospitality and management at number seven. At six, Handel Recruitment is looking to place a royalties manager in a major film and entertainment company. The Northern Region Film and Television Archive at Teesside University has vacancies for two film archive assistants at five. In at four, community radio station Shmoo FM is looking for a radio support worker for all aspects of radio training, broadcasting and production. And now the super top three. At number three is a role for a recruitment agency, Working Girls, a top TV comedy production company, is looking for an assistant to head off the production. (laughs) Just shy of the top spot at two, a deputy production manager is needed to assist in all aspects of organising shows at Donmar Warehouse. And top of the pop pickers job pickers chart today is a sales and marketing position for a Nottingham comedy club called Just The Tonic. For more info or to apply, you can visit guardianjobs.co.uk. Right now, Maya Wolf-Robinson, Guardian Legal Affairs Researcher, has dropped by to talk about the Ali McBeal effect. But first, Maya, can you tell me a bit about what your job is and what you do? Sure, of course. Well, I work here at The Guardian on our brand new law site that was launched um, a few months ago. So you're sort of researching all the stories and... Yeah, and um, all the kind of, all of the production that goes into the site, so organising our contributors and our commenters and who we're going to get to, who we commission on things and how sorting out our bloggers and our regular journalists that write for us. Um, it also involves lots of going out and having lunch and networking <laughs> with lawyers, nice. which is which is great sometimes, <laughs> um, and going to lectures and speeches and sometimes I get to go to court. Okay, now tell me a bit more about this Ali McBeal effect then. Well, it's <laughs> it's why it's my idea of why actually there are so many thousands of law graduates out there because there are seems to be hundreds and thousands of them and it's a growing profession and I studied law at university and from day one at university you're kind of inundated with these statistics of how many law students there are and how many apply for training contracts and how many apply for pupillages and how many thousands go on to law school and then how many thousands Um, apply for these places and then only two of them ever get the job Um, and that might be slightly exaggerated I don't have the statistics but it does seem like that and certainly during my time at university and when I used to do work experience placements and mini pupillages and shadow judges and all these kind of things that you have to do to fill up your CV I never once met a, a barrister who said yes go on do it it's great they all kind of were full of these tales about how hard it was and how hardly anyone stood a chance And so 
the mind kind of boggles why people keep going and why people do want to go into it. And so apart from any lofty ideas of wanting to change the world and fight injustice, which got knocked out of me, um, probably the first time I sat in a court case, but definitely the first time I had a session with a a graduate recruitment officer, because at university as as a law student, all of the big firms come and do these kind of events with law students. And they have a graduate recruitment officer and they tell you about the recruitment process and what you should say in the interview. And so we had this session about what are you going to say when they ask you, why did you want to study law? And so I kind of put my hand up and gave my answer about, you know, feeling inspired and having this sense of social justice. (laughs) Um, And she kind of gave me this look and she was like, hmm, interesting. Didn't write it on the board. Um, (laughs) All of the other answers that did get written on the board were things like, having an interest in commercial awareness or a passion for mergers and acquisitions, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I can't actually imagine that anybody wants to do. So apart from money, I think all of these law students want to be a lawyer because of Ali McBeal. (laughs) (laughs) Because we all used to watch Ali McBeal at school and we all loved her. Not only Ali McBeal, but there's also kind of This Life and Judge John Deed and <laughs> Legally Blonde. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon might have a lot to answer for as well. As well as books like To Kill a Mockingbird and any John Grisham book. Um, but Ali McBeal made law seem like this glamorous, cool profession that was full of these you know, amazing stories of court cases that all ended with these heartwarming tales of the couple getting back together and deciding not to divorce or these great judges that um, actually just intervened, decided not to follow the law and just gave the answer that you wanted. And and so I think that's why everyone kind of thought law is a great thing to do. And I actually heard a couple of weeks ago that the BBC are planning a new legal drama called Silk which is going to be starting soon. So I think that's going to lead to a whole new generation of uh, young people who are going to ignore the statistics and still go on to study law because they all grew up watching this this TV programme. I'm completely with you. I think film and TV informs our career choices massively. See, I think this is it. I just think that most law students and law grads won't admit it. They've (laughs) they've come up with their pat answer to this question for interview and they've actually forced themselves to believe that they're actually really interested (laughs) in becoming a litigation expert and it's not true. Really, they've got their (laughs) Ali McBeal box set at home. Exactly. They They want to go to work and then go sing in a bar afterwards (laughs) and they think being a lawyer will let them do that. They want to dance down the street and meet John Bon Jovi. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're going to go a bit off script now because... um, Maya's brought her intern, Gila, with her. And we've just found out she's a law student. And she was sort of sitting in the corner cowering every time we were sort of saying, oh, no, law, there's no jobs. So, Gila, tell us why you are studying law and how you feel about what we've been talking about today. Well, I started out wanting to be a human rights lawyer. Then very quickly, I changed my mind and acquired this love for mergers and acquisitions, just like Maya said. Um And I think the the most appealing thing about being a lawyer for me was the opportunity to put your views through, to kind of win. (laughs) Um, Obviously, that only works if you actually (laughs) do win. But it just seems to be quite a challenging profession. And that's what I was looking for. 
it does sound scary that there are not enough jobs, but I suppose you just have to try to be as good as you possibly can and just work as hard as you can. I mean, that's the hope that I'm clinging on to. I like that attitude. So what, what you're weighing up your options now. What's the next step for you, do you think? Well, I will be applying for VAC schemes to see the PR <laughs> that the firms are putting out there to lure the students into applying for trainee contracts. And, well, then we'll see. I still have plenty of time to think about it, but... Yeah, I, I think I will go for the pretty standard route of getting into um, a solicitor's. So have we managed to put you off journalism after a few weeks at The Guardian? Uh, no, not <laughs> yet, not yet. It is, <laughs> this is still on the table, yeah. Well, best of luck with everything. Thanks Thank for that. You. Nearly time for our closing argument, but not before we tell you about what's coming up on the site next week. Okay, on the 26th of July, we've got Career Options in International Development. 28th of July, we've got Dealing with a Difficult Colleague. 29th of July is Master's Degrees, Do Employers Value Them? And finishing off the week, 30th of July, How to Become a Counsellor. And that's it for this week. Thanks very much to our jury, um, I mean guests, Matthew Rose, David Collins from Guardian Jobs, Maya Wolf-Robinson, and of course, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace, and until next week, I rest my case. Bye.